Well, good morning. When I was a kid, there was a TV show where a character named Oscar would pop up out of the garbage and speak to people. And so I feel like Sam the Grouch, Nathan the Grouch, uh, these would be good nicknames. These should stick, I think. My name's Matt. It's great to be with you. I have an opportunity to come here occasionally uh, and be with you and present the message for the morning. Uh, and, and as I do today, I want to let you know that we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. There's going to be a couple of slides that say Mark 7. Those are just typos. Everything we're going to do is from Mark chapter 6 today, and so you can open up there. And while you're on your way, I would love for us to just take a moment and thank the Lord for the person who usually stands up here. Uh, Kenny is always ministering to me in my life, but particularly over the last couple of weeks, he has ministered so richly and so beautifully into my life, and I know he does that here uh, week in and week out, and so uh, just give thanks for Kenny for a minute to the Lord. Yeah, and... Uh, And uh, just be praying for him over the course of this week, continuing to give thanks for him and his faithful ministry. Mark 6, that's where we are. What did we see when we jumped back into the book of Mark last week? We saw that Jesus, as the Son of God, has all authority and all power. Jesus, as the Son of God, has all authority and all power. And that's kind of difficult for us to imagine because as people, we have very limited authority and limited power, right? Are you willing to admit that? We have limited authority and limited power, and you can see that just in how our bodies function. If I were to tell all of you right now to just scratch your nose for a minute, chances are most people in the room have authority and power over their bodies to do that. If I ask you to stand up, most of the people in the room have authority and power over their body to go ahead and do that. But what if I asked you to go ahead right now and fly up to the ceiling, hover there like a hummingbird for a few moments, and change out one of these light bulbs for us, and then just descend lightly back down? You'd look at me like I'm crazy, right? Because you don't have that kind of power and authority over your body. What if I told you, I'm cold, could you go ahead and raise your body temperature five degrees to warm it up a little bit in here? Or how about trying to, I don't know, grow five or six inches tonight? Go for it. See what happens. You don't have that kind of power and authority over your body. And it isn't just your, your body where you have limited power and authority. It is all of life where we have limited power and authority. We want it. We grab for it. We have very limited power and authority. Do you recognize that? Are you willing to admit that? There is a peace that comes when we are able to admit, yes, I have very limited power and authority as I walk through this life. But in the Gospel of Mark, what Mark wants us to understand is this man Jesus that he is talking about, he's not like that at all. He has all power and all authority, and that's what we saw in last week's passage as we walked through four accounts that are meant to be considered together. We saw, first of all, Jesus is the one with authority over the visible creation. That uh, ultimately, when, when Jesus tells a storm that the fishermen thought was going to be the end of their life, to go to its room, it goes to its room, right? He rebukes it, and it's gone. 
And then we saw when they landed that when Jesus comes face to face with the most powerful demonic force that anybody knew in the region, and he tells that demonic force to take a flying leap off a cliff in pigs, it does it. Because he doesn't just have all authority over the visible creation, he has all authority over the invisible creation as well. Then we saw his, him exercise his authority over disease and healing as he healed that woman that had been bleeding for 12 years. And I think an even greater point of that account than the healing is the fact that he makes her clean. For 12 years, she had been ceremonially unclean. And when she touched Jesus, he should have become unclean. But because he is cleanliness itself, she becomes clean instead of him becoming unclean. And then ultimately at the home of Jairus, he goes up and he speaks words to that dead young lady. And death flees the room and life returns because Jesus has all authority and power over death and over life. He has all authority and all power. And Mark wants us to understand that. But now we are going to see for several weeks Jesus teaches lessons to his disciples that go beyond that. He wants them to understand, yep, I've got all authority and all power, but now he is going to communicate to his disciples in the passages that we're going to look at week after week, that authority and that power that I have can be at work in and through your lives. It's not just that Jesus has all authority and all power theoretically, no, he has all authority and all power, and he wants his disciples to understand that can be at work in and through you. And he's going to show us that today in a couple of different accounts. We're going to start by looking at it in a negative way, a negative example of those who don't experience Jesus' authority and power. And that account is going to take place in Jesus' hometown. Jesus has authority and power it can work in and through us, but, but look, Jesus' power will not work in and through our lives if we don't come to him in faith. Will not work in and through our lives if we don't come to him in faith. Look at Jesus' hometown experience this. Verse 1 of chapter 6, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. So he leaves Capernaum up at the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, and he travels down to his hometown in Nazareth. And when he arrives in his hometown, he has arrived in a town that is a nowhere town filled with nobodies. Uh, archaeologists and scholars today think Nazareth might have been 200 to 250 people at this time. It was a nowhere place filled with nobodies. But 200 to 250 people is large enough to have your own little synagogue. And so on the Sabbath, Jesus goes into the synagogue in his hometown in order to teach people. And how does that go? Verses 2 and 3. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took what? Offense at him. He, he's in his hometown. He's speaking on the Sabbath. And people are amazed at the wisdom that is rolling out of his mouth. He is dropping wisdom upon them. And they're like, where did this come from? Didn't this guy grow up in this nowhere town with us? 
We know him. He, he went to Nazareth High with us. We know he didn't have an opportunity to go and be specially trained as a rabbi. And here he is operating as a rabbi. And we hear about these amazing wonders and signs he's doing over by the Sea of Galilee. When did all of this happen? Where did this come from? And we're told that they were offended by him. How, how dare this guy who grew up with us in this little nothing town pretend that he's something more? This man with no train, we know it. We, we know he doesn't have the effect. How can he be pretending to be a rabbi? They were offended by him. The Greek word for offended is the word skandalizomai, right? You can pick it up there. They were scandalized by this. In, in this culture, to be a carpenter or cabinet maker as his father was, meant that Jesus was going to be a carpenter or cabinet maker. And people understood that role, that, that, that position of being a carpenter or cabinet maker as being just fine, right? Wasn't exalted, wasn't demeaned, it was just fine. But in their culture, to be a rabbi was understood to be the peak of what you could be within their societal structure. And here is Jesus, a carpenter. We know he's nothing more than that. And he is reaching up and in their minds pretending to be something he's not. This rabbi filled with wisdom, able to do amazing works. And they are scandalized by this. They're offended by it. What is Jesus' response to this? He says to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. When I first became a pastor many, many, many years ago now. The church that I grew up in invited me back to speak one Sunday. And it was clear after being in the building for a few minutes that they were going to treat me very differently than the church that I pastored. The church that I pastored treated me like I was their pastor. They treated me like an adult. right? But the church that I grew up in and was invited back to speak in they treated me like I had grown up in that church, like they had taught my Sunday school classes. They treated me like the 10-year-old kid that was always out playing football after the Sunday evening service and hitting their cars with the football. And you could tell as I was speaking to them that what they were saying was, wait a minute, I got to listen to Dan and Maggie's kid teach me the Bible? Are you kidding me? That kid was a wreck. Now, for that church to not recognize what I had become was meaningless, didn't matter. But for the people of Nazareth to not recognize the true identity of Jesus was eternally painful. It had eternal consequences that they didn't recognize the, the identity of Jesus, who he was. And they missed out on the work that he wanted to do among them because they wouldn't recognize who he was. Look at verses 5 and 6. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I love that phrase. No mighty works, just laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. L literally, the Greek reads here just, no mighty work there. There was no mighty work done in this place. Why? Was it because Jesus didn't want to? No, I don't think that's true. 
I think the reason Jesus went from village to village to village was to speak the message of the kingdom of God and to do the works that showed the king had come. He wanted to do mighty works there in order to tell them, yes, the kingdom has come. The king is here. Watch this. I don't think it was because Jesus didn't want to. So then why didn't Jesus do mighty works there? Why wasn't he able to do mighty works there? Was it because their lack of faith sapped all of his power? Right? I have to admit, there was a time in my life where I would read this passage, and that was my understanding. Their lack of belief sapped all of Jesus' power, except a little bit that he had in his fingertips that he could use to heal a couple people here and there. Right? Some sparks of power were still left over. We know that's not the case. God's power, Jesus' power is not dependent upon our faith. And we see that in last week's teaching, don't we? How many people in the boat believed that Jesus was going to stand up and calm that storm when, he sa- when they said to him, we're going to die, you should probably wake up to watch this. Nobody believed, and it didn't affect his power one bit. How many people believed when Jesus stepped to the shore that he was going to cast legion out into a group of pigs? We're told the disciples were terrified. They didn't have faith, didn't affect Jesus' power one bit. How many of his disciples believed that after three days, Jesus was going to get up out of the grave as they went to anoint his body, as they hid in the upper room? They they didn't have faith, didn't affect God's power one bit. Our faith or lack of faith do not affect God's power. However, If we refuse to come to Him, if we lack faith and won't go to Him, then God doesn't work in our life in those situations. He he cannot work in our lives if we ask Him to leave. As a matter of fact, Jesus always, as a gentleman, respects the wishes of people. Didn't we see that last week? In the land of the Gerasenes, the demoniac is healed. People come out, and what do they ask of Jesus? Please leave. There's probably a lot of good ministry to be done, but what does Jesus do? He leaves because Jesus won't go where he is not wanted, and Jesus will not do ministry among people who don't want it. And here the people are offended, they're scandalized by Jesus, and so they won't come to him in faith. In Capernaum, people believe, and so we're told earlier in Mark, they come out by the hundreds. They fill Peter's house so that you can't even move around in it. There's so much faith there. And what does Jesus do? He heals person after person, casts out demon after demon. He is doing all the works of the kingdom among them because they believe enough to come to him. In his hometown, they don't believe enough to come to him. They're offended by him and they just leave. A handful of them will come to him. And what does Jesus do for that handful? He heals them of their diseases. Because he has all power and all authority. But when we walk away and won't come to him, his power and authority will not work in and through our lives. And that's such a key lesson for us to see here. Now, how do we come to Jesus these days? He doesn't come physically into our towns, but we come to Jesus in faith through our prayer lives, don't we? Isn't that the primary expression of our faith? We come to him in prayer. And we bring those things that we need before Him in prayer. We worship Him. We give Him all thanks. 
and we depend upon him. Take, take a moment right now and just say, am I living that kind of life where I'm dependent upon Jesus in prayer? Am I more like the people of Nazareth and I'm ignoring Jesus and not spending time with him? Or am I coming to him regularly? Coming to him in prayer so that his power and authority will be at work in my life. We'll examine that a little more in a few minutes. We see a negative example first. People who won't come to Jesus in faith and so they don't receive his power and authority. Now let's look at a positive example. A positive example we see in the disciples. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. What is going on here? Well, there are some instructions that are a part of those verses that were unique to that situation and Jesus' declaration to the disciples in that situation. For example, if you're doing ministry with Awana this Wednesday night, don't, don't worry about whether or not you have a staff. All right? If you want to go and spend time ministering to neighbors, shining the light of Christ there, you, you can bring bread to them. Right? Jesus says, don't bring any bread. Make sure you have a staff. That, that was unique to that situation. Shaking dust off of your feet was unique to that culture. If you've got dust on your feet right now, that's not a problem. I mean, it may be a problem, but it's not a biblical problem. Right? But there are some key principles here that we see Jesus download to his disciples that are essential if his power and authority is going to be at work in our lives. Starting with this, right? Jesus' authority and power can work in and through us if we are living and working for the kingdom. The disciples go out in order to be obedient to the king's commands and do the kingdom work of calling people to repent, spreading the gospel, and doing the kingdom works of healing and casting out demons that declare the kingdom is upon people. That is what Jesus called them to do. The king commanded it, so it's kingdom work. And if we want Jesus' authority and power to be flowing through our lives, then we have to be involved in kingdom living and kingdom work because that's what the king's resources are available for. If I'm not involved in kingdom living and kingdom work, the king's resources are not available to me in the same way. Uh, if I want Jesus to get me into the college of my choice with my 2.2 GPA, and I pray that he would bring his power and his authority on that situation, the king's resources are not available for that. They're not available for me trying to build my own kingdom. The king's resources are available for Jesus' kingdom and the building of his kingdom. And so if I'm at college and I want to start a Bible study in order to reach out to my two or three friends that I've gotten to know who aren't Christians, the power and authority of Jesus are absolutely available for that. Because that's, kingdoms, that's kingdom work and the king's command. If I want a promotion at work so that my life can be more comfortable, 
There's no king's authority for that. No power and authority is available for that. That's not the king's command or the king's work. I'm trying to build my own kingdom in that situation. And no power or authority is available to us from Jesus for that. His power and authority are absolutely available if I want to share the message of Jesus Christ with my coworker that I sit with day in and day out at lunch. It's available to us for that. That's the king's command and his work. If I want my kids to grow up and experience the American dream, there is no power and authority from Jesus for that. That's personal kingdom building. He's not interested in that. But if I want my kids to love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to follow after him throughout their entire lives, there is power and authority as I go to him about that because those are his expressed desires. The king has said he wants this to be true. And so it is kingdom work that we're involved in. We want the, the king's authority and power to be at work in our lives. Then we need to be about living and working for the kingdom. We need to be a people who seek first the kingdom of God, and then his power and authority will be at work. The second lesson we see from the disciples here is that Jesus' power and authority can be at work in and through us if we make ourselves available. Did you notice in the passage that it says, Jesus called the twelve? Luke's version of this says he called the twelve together. That was actually super confusing for me when I first was reading this passage because the picture in my head was that Jesus and his disciples were always together. Essentially, they had like a, a three and a half year camp out together during his ministry. They'd build a fire and sleep under the stars. They were always together. But as we read the Gospels, that isn't actually how this three years of ministry worked. Jesus often sent the disciples away to go home so that James and John could go and check in on their dad, so that Peter could go and spend time with his wife. They all went back to doing their regular daily routines, and here Jesus calls them back together. And what do they all do? They all drop whatever they were involved in, right then, right there, in order to go to Jesus. They make themselves available. They make themselves... There is... No power and authority of Jesus that is going to work through us in our lives to do ministry on his behalf if we don't make ourselves available to him. I can't tell you how many people I have known who have had tremendous charisma. They've been smart and well-spoken and have not been used by God in great ways because they didn't do the first thing that it takes. Make yourself available. That was lesson one for the disciples when Jesus called them. You have to make yourself available. And we are told in Luke chapter 5, they all dropped everything they had and left to follow him. Right? Availability, that's job one. If his power and authority are going to work through us. Over my 25 years as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had with people who had plans to be available to God someday. Right now, I've got to get this in order, and I've got to get this lined up, and I've got to take care of this. But I've got plans to be greatly used by God someday, to be available to God someday. I can't find any of that someday anywhere in the Scripture. Right? Jesus says, no, completely and totally available to me right now. That's discipleship. He calls his followers to that. He calls us to that. Completely and totally available to him right now. Just pause for a second. 
and think with the Lord about your availability to Him. Are you in a place where at one point you were greatly available to Him, but you've pulled back on all of that for some reason? Are you in a place where you're sitting back, not particularly available to the Lord right now, but you've got plans that someday you're going to be available? Or are you fully and completely available to Him and what He's calling you to right now? We want the power and authority of Jesus to be at work in our lives. We have to be available to Him for what He's calling us to. Make yourself available. Third, Jesus' authority and power can work in and through us if we put ourselves in kingdom-pursuing community. When Jesus sends His disciples out, you notice He does not send them out by themselves. He sends them out two by two, doesn't He? So that they can be in relationships where they are encouraging each other and receiving that encouragement from one another. They are partnered up for the sake of ministry so that God's power can be at work in and through them. Not only that, you noticed that Jesus told them not to take anything along for the trip, but instead to rely on hospitality in the towns that they go to. Don't take anything for the trip. I want you to rely on the hospitality of people in these towns. Hospitality at this point meant more than just putting you up. It meant taking care of any need you might have while you were with, with, within that home. Jesus wanted them to be fed as they were busy feeding. He wanted them to be in community that was filled with encouragement and accountability as they were ministering. Because God loves to work through community. God's power and, and His authority can work through our lives if we put ourselves in kingdom-pursuing community. Finally, Jesus' authority and power can work in and through us if we depend on Jesus in faith. It's kind of a big one, right? If we depend on Jesus in faith. The disciples go out for this amazing and effective ministry. And whose authority do they rely on? Look back at verse 7. It is Jesus who gives them authority in order to go out. They have no authority and power in order to pull this off on their own. Jesus' authority and power is necessary for them to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim effectively repentance and bring people into the kingdom. It's Jesus' authority and power that are necessary. And they need to, in faith, depend upon Him in this. Not their own efforts, not their own strength, depend upon Him. And one of the ways that Jesus makes this dependence clear is by telling them to go out with nothing. Just, just put yourself in the disciples' place. How would you have felt about this? I'm going to send you out for days. As a matter of fact, given the amount of territory they covered, probably weeks. And I don't want you to take anything for the journey. Instead, you're just going to show up in a town and somebody's going to be hospitable to you. Would you have had any questions about this process that Jesus called them to? I'm sorry, which towns? Who, who's the host? What will they be providing during this time? How is this going to work? Would you have had any questions about this? But Jesus sends them out with nothing so that they will learn that in faith, when they depend upon Him, all of their needs will be met. That His authority and His power will be at work in and through them. Uh, later in Luke 22, Jesus, right before His crucifixion, tells His disciples, hey, remember when I sent you out without anything? 
I'm changing the model. Now that I'm leaving, I want you guys to take resources for the journey. He says, that, that, that way wasn't the model. That was just a lesson you were to learn. But now the model is for you to take resources and apply them to the kingdom work. But, but he desperately wanted them to learn this lesson right here, right now, to depend upon him and him completely and totally. How are you relying on him? What does that look like in our lives? Again, doesn't, doesn't that look like prayer? Doesn't relying upon God first and foremost in our lives look like our prayer lives? Let me just invite you to think for a minute about whether or not you would experience more authority and power of Jesus in your life if you committed yourself to a half an hour of prayer with the Lord every evening. If you put away the streaming, put away the book, put away the dishes for a while, and we're committed to a half an hour of being with Jesus each and every night. You and your journal and the Lord. You and your spouse and the Lord. Whatever that looks like. Would there be any more power and authority in your life? Isn't this how we depend upon Him through prayer? By coming to Him first in all things? To plead with Him for the soul of our neighbor or coworker who needs Jesus? To spend time praying for our kids that Jesus would be the priority of their lives or our grandkids, that that Jesus would be the the priority and that nothing else would be close in their life. Praying for the, the ministries that we're a part of. I can't imagine that there's anything more important for a D group leader to be doing in the youth ministry than to be praying for the students they work with each and every night. I can't imagine there's anything more important for an Awana leader to be involved with than to be praying for the kids that they work with each and every night. Right? Do we believe that Jesus has all authority and all power? Then is there anything more important than we could do than to be praying in these situations? And so we depend upon Jesus in faith, recognizing that when we do, all authority and all power can be at work in and through us. Now, we might be tempted at this point to say, whoa, wait, so if I, if I have faith in Jesus, all authority and power can be at work in my life, then I'm guessing I will never face a hard circumstance again. Right? My circumstances are just going to be rosy from this point on. Uh, he's got all authority, all power. And, and if I believe in him, it can be at work in and through my life. And so i got to believe that my life from this point forward is just going to be one better set of circumstances than the next, than, than the ones before. It's going to be amazing. Well, the next account in this passage helps us to stop that thinking very quickly. Because in the next account in the passage, we, we see that, yeah, Jesus' authority and power can be at work in and through us, but that That does not guarantee us pleasant circumstances in this life. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29 are an account of the beheading of John the Baptist that had already occurred. You may or may not know the account for the sake of time. I'll just tell it real quickly here. John the Baptist came to Herod and said, Herod, you stealing your brother's wife and making her your own, that's wrong. God's not excited about that. That's wrong. And so Herod was upset with John. His wife Herodias was more upset with John. 
And so Herod locked John up in prison. Herodias wanted him dead, but Herod wouldn't kill him because he recognized that John was a holy and righteous man. And he had some concerns about killing a holy and righteous man. But one day, Herod had a birthday. And at this birthday party, Herodias' daughter from her previous marriage with Herod's brother Philip, there's just a bunch of ew there, comes out and dances for him and pleases him. And whether it's because of all of the important people that are there that day or whether it's because he's in a drunken stupor, I don't know. But Herod says, "Ah, just tell me what you want and I'll give it to you, up to half the kingdom. What? Like, uh, for never mind. Because she danced, she's going to get up to half of the kingdom at this point. And so she goes back and consults with her mom, and her mom says, hey, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And she does, and Herod doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of all of his friends, and so he supplies John the Baptist's head on a platter. And that forerunner of Christ, that Elijah, if you will accept it, is beheaded. Those aren't great circumstances. But but Jesus' authority and power being available for kingdom work does not guarantee us pleasant circumstances in our personal lives. This is just the first of many examples the Scripture gives us here, right? We keep reading through the New Testament and we see James run through with the sword. We see Paul beaten with rods and whips and locked in jail for years on end. We see the disciples locked away in prison. We see John marooned on a prison island. We see in church history one disciple after another killed in painful and cruel ways. If you have faith in Jesus, that is not a guarantee that all of your circumstances will be rosy. Right? We might be tempted to that. Wait, Jesus has all authority and all power. And so I bet my life will just be healthier and wealthier and wiser as I walk through. All of my circumstances will just get better and better and better. And the New Testament says to us again and again, nope. No, that is not the reality. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, if we stand for his name and proclaim it among others, there will be tribulations, right? There will be sorrows that come upon us and... We should rejoice in those, he says, because every time we stand for Jesus' name, every time we declare him in a setting in which we are hurt because of it, he says there is great reward in heaven for you. Right? Do you see it? Great reward in heaven for you. Do you have faith in it? John wasn't guaranteed pleasant circumstances, and we aren't either. But what are we guaranteed? We're guaranteed that Jesus is going to walk through any set of circumstances with us hand in hand. That his Holy Spirit is going to dwell in us and strengthen us and encourage us for whatever we face in life. We are guaranteed that we can be a part of a family of God who will encourage us and hold us accountable and be with us no matter what we're going through. We're guaranteed that God's Spirit will come and dwell in us and can produce love and joy and peace in our life no matter how challenging the circumstances are that we face. We're guaranteed that because of Jesus' work, we will dwell forever with Him in an eternal inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade that is beyond our imagination. That that we have guaranteed. 
That beautiful future is ours because of Jesus. And it's that that we celebrate every time we come to this communion table. We come here recognizing he's the one with all authority and all power. And he says he's the one with authority and power to lay down his life. And he's the one with all authority and power to take it up again. And every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we celebrate what he has done in laying down his life and taking it up again on our behalf. I'd like to invite you to just close your eyes and bow your heads and let's prepare our hearts for the taking of these elements today. Start with this. Is there any confession that you need to make about your level of availability to Christ and what He's calling you to? Have you been fully and completely available to Him? If the answer is no, spend time confessing that before the Lord. Have you been more focused on the building of your own kingdom or on the commands of the king and the call into his kingdom? Spend a moment confessing anything that needs to be confessed. Jesus calls his followers to faith again and again. Have you been operating in faith, coming to him, depending upon him? Or have you been handling life in your own strength? Take a moment to confess anything that needs to be confessed in this area. And now, friends, Would you think deeply and remember the great grace of our God who through the work of Jesus Christ that we're going to celebrate with these elements has forgiven all of your sins, that he has washed them away completely, that as far as the east is from the west, they have been removed from you. Would you celebrate God's great grace and mercy before we go to the table? As you think about King Jesus and the sacrifice he made, would you make yourself fully and completely available to him? Pray through what that looks like, full availability to him. going to take the bread that represents Jesus' body given for us and the cup that represents his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. In just a moment, uh, I, as we sing this song, I'd love for you to make your way to the tables that are in the four corners of the room and then bring the bread and the cup back to your seat and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements in just a few minutes. But we're going to sing a song about our availability to Jesus. And as we sing that song, I'd encourage you to think deeply and prayerfully about the words of this song and where you are in your availability to him. Let's worship him by declaring our full availability to the king. Would you stand with me? Let's sing together.